Hello, and welcome to the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and if you're enjoying the show, you can subscribe to my newsletter where you'll receive every new episode a week early. Head to theconsumervc.com and click subscribe. All content episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not investment advice. Hello and happy holidays. Just like we've done in years past during this special time of year, we're gonna be sharing recaps of our most popular episodes from this past year, 2022. An annual roundup, so to speak. It's gonna be during Hanukkah and Christmas, so every day from December 18th through December 26th. Today's highlight episode is with Greer Tesler and Kara Kaufman, founders of Simple Food Ventures. We discuss how they determine if the food and beverage products they are diligencing would work on shelf and how they make investment decisions and opportunities within CPG. Without further ado, here's a recap of our conversation. When you think about the future of the grocery store, right? And it going from maybe not as specialized, um, as you say, in a specific bucket to now maybe more broad. I mean, how are you thinking about it as investors? I mean, obviously, we're going to cover like the brand side too, of course, because that's what you're paying attention to. But when you think about distribution in the grocery store, what do you think about that the grocery store is going to look like in the next like five, 10 years? I mean, we're already seeing a massive shift if you think about it. Like the fact that Oreos and Corona and Guinness are like coming out with these gluten-free items. These mass retail, these mass market companies are shifting towards this better for you space. And so if the big guys are doing it, sometimes they're able to invest in the R&D to do it. It's a lot easier to just acquire the brands that have already done it successfully. So there's going to be a lot more integrations, but we're seeing acquisition, a lot more platforms at play instead of just the big guys taking, taking stand here. And also, actually, what's been interesting in our conversations with grocers in this space is that even though you'll see a shelf consumed mostly by the larger players, you know, the Cokes, the Pepsis, the Mondelezes of the world, maybe 75% of the shelf controlled by that, the 15% is made up by maybe 30 other brands. So these smaller players are really popping up and trying to, to grow a presence there. It's difficult because shelving fees are really, really expensive and the grocery beast can be pretty intimidating, which is typically why these healthy brands wait a little while before they actually go down that path. But for brands to really survive, they need the right connections and they need a, a true differentiator. And that's really like what we look for. But the other thing that you'll see on the shelves now too is in addition to being gluten-free or organic or calor- like low calorie, whatever it is, you're also going to have the carbon footprint of the brand's low labeled on the boxes because grocers are looking at those brands as, as an important aspect to what they're offering their customers. The labels are just the table stakes at this point. It's now what else can you do to further differentiate? That's really, really fascinating. I also wanted just to back up a little bit as well and just talk about a little bit how Simple Food Ventures came together. I know, Greer, when you were thinking about starting to fund, you mentioned earlier, uh, Kara was the perfect partner in order to start a fund with. And I would love to kind of understand, you know, how you two, you know, first of all, know each other, how you both came together and why you also wanted to do start a fund with a partner as opposed to starting each your own fund. 
Our friendship goes back almost 20 years. We met in high school and probably shouldn't be saying this, but we were in a slower math class, which is interesting because that's now what we do all day long and really bonded over that. But we actually did a fundraiser when we were in high school for a camp in Maine that catered to kids with terminal illness and their families. We had both been affected by disease in different ways. And so it was our first attempt and successful attempt at really making a difference in the world. So we did that for three consecutive years. We raised money for the scholarship fund. We were actually able to send 60 families to this camp for free of charge, which was amazing. And so not only were we working on this friendship, but at an early age, realized that there was a business side to our dynamic. And you know, how I career take it from there. That's all completely accurate. I think the reason why Simple Food Ventures came to be is actually the name was derived from Alice Waters talking about simple food. And it's just really like the natural, no additive, simple ingredients part of food that we love. And when I was starting this, there was $2 million that I had the opportunity to invest And I knew that I couldn't do it alone because I'm a people person and I'm the type of person that needs to talk something through versus write it out in order to really hammer out ideas and and think through my thoughts. And having a partner to go about doing that with is exactly what I needed to do to succeed. So bringing Kara in, somebody who really understands the space, experiences exactly the issues that a lot of our companies are trying to overcome, um, I knew that it would be the right fit for us. And it's interesting, Greer and I come at things, we usually land on pretty similar... I'm good cop and she's bad (laughs) That is what happens. But we, you know, we play to each other's strengths. I mean, Greer really is, she meets a founder and she falls head over heels. And I'm like picking out like, well, what about this and this and this and this and this? And she's like, let's overlook this. And so really being able to tap into the other one's both successes and shortcomings, I think, is what makes us successful together. We really do balance each other out and are able to see a holistic picture when we bring everything together. Where do you think we're at in terms of the better for you when it comes to the environment on packaging in terms of like consumer education? Oh, we are so early in the conversation, too early, I think. I, there's so, I think there's a long way that we have to go. Our brands are doing it, our brands, but some of them are you know five years old. So think about it in terms of, so maybe it's not so, so, so new, but compared to I've been eating gluten-free for almost 20 years. So we're looking at a almost, I would say, a 15-year gap at yeah. least. But you even think about it of like the packages that get, the amount of packages that Kara and I get every single week because of the fact that we have to try all the samples that we invest in. So I've seen that evolve where, you know, before sometimes it'd be styrofoam in it. Now it's this foam, it's this styrofoam material that is like dissolves in the water and creates like a foam to it and then it's just gone. And like... The innovation that is coming with that, I mean, we're really interested in also finding brands that have, that are taking a new take on plastic bags in grocery stores or paper bags in grocery stores or the bags that you're using to put your grapes in at stores, like brands that are going to that next level. And that's really where the future is. I mean, the future of food in the aspect of it affecting sustainability is obviously supply chain when it comes to the actual ingredients, but also the packaging. No, it makes sense. I mean, I'm always kind of curious, and I think it's great that brands have been experimenting and doing a lot of packaging. I think that once you see a consumer pull for sustainable packaging or new forms of packaging, then then you'll start to see maybe a much greater shift there. No, that's like that's really, really fascinating. We also talk a lot 
about better for you, right? And what's actually better for you. And I feel like there's almost like not two camps, but um, there's better for the planet and better for you. And, you know, when you had like, for example, um, alternative proteins like uh, Impossible and Beyond Meat, who it's better for the planet, it's a plant-based protein, but the jury's kind of still out or, or there's been kind of reports of, is it actually better for you, right? This kind of question is being raised. As investors, since how do you think about better for you? Does it kind of have to check those two boxes of better for the planet and better for you? Or can it get away with one of the two boxes? And then as a macro, maybe on like a macro lens too, this is kind of a two-part question, on the macro level as well, where do you think like better for you is is headed. I think that it's for us, it starts with is it better for the body, which leads to is it better for the environment? If we're not our healthiest selves putting our best foot forward, then we're not able to to do that for the rest for everything else. I think that's where it starts. So that's really what we look at in those ingredients. And we've had that conversation about impossible and beyond. We're invested in a meatless uh, chicken nugget company as well and had that conversation and they're made in a lab and we love it. So we understand that. I think that better for you has almost kind of become a buzzword at this point. Like there's, so what we mean with better for you is that there's no additives, preservatives, or chemicals in the food that we're, that you're eating. It's all natural in some, maybe it's natural where it's produced in a lab now, but it's not like, you know, there's no corn syrup in it or We're not looking, right. There's no like dextrose and, you know, red dye number seven or whatever it is. It's a pea protein isolate instead of, you know, whatever it might be. But the macro trend that I think we're seeing now is that it's going to be table stakes. If you look at all of these mass conglomerate brands that were producing Frito, like Frito-Lay, and, you know, if you look at just everything, Doritos, like anything out there, there's now going to be an option that is going to be a plant-based Doritos or like a gluten-free Doritos that is also plant-based that has no additives to it. Like, it's going to be the basic because of the fact that it is going to become such a mass market category that people are going to turn to that because why wouldn't they? As if it tastes just as good and it's actually still better for you, then like I think that in five years from now, you're, you're going to see a lot of these, you know, red dye number nine products kind of start to change, to shift, to change their ingredients. And for you to invest, I mean, we talked a little bit about does a company... Um, have to be online or or only in retail. I guess in order for a company for you to to look at, it has to work at retail. Is that right? Yes, those were that's where our relationships are. That's our differentiator. And again, most people are going to the grocery store. If we think about excluding the coasts and we target the rest of the country, people go to the grocery store. Um, they drive, they walk, whatever it may be. And so that's that's where we want these products. We want people to have access to. All of these products. Well, yeah, and we just live in such, like, we're tactile beings. Like, we need to be able to touch and feel the fruit that we're going to buy. Or, like, it's never going to go away. You know, we're, like, we believe it's very important for our brands to have a D2C presence as an additional omni-channel approach to how they're selling and they can control the price point and the margins and all of that. But at the same time, you have to be able to get it, like, you have to ha- be able to have be available at a retail store for browsing, for for discovery, but also for the fact that people want to see their food. <laughs> so it's funny because I've had on um, Ernesto Schmidt, who's one of the founders of The Craftery. And 
he said target walmart they're being very aggressive in terms of online brands coming into their stores and he wrote a piece that we kind of talked through about where he said that he thinks that brands are entering retail way too early and they should stay online a lot later than they do obviously you know this is kind of like a macro you know this is not obviously like, like a catch-all but when you're kind of advising and seeing brands when do you think it makes sense to enter retail if they did in fact start, start online They have to be able to answer to the supply. If they can fulfill supply, they can fulfill the purchase orders and continue to fulfill the repeat purchase orders and the pallets, then they're able to enter into mass or enter into grocery. And our approach is really, it's a region by region or store by store. It's not a one day you're going to be in 5,000 stores. It's what are you able to do today? And let's grow with you. And let's take on what you're able to accomplish today. Yeah, and I think it's also looking at where their customer is. So if they're, that's a great thing about D2C, though, is like you can see who your customer is, where you're selling it. And so if your customer is buying from all over the country, then you're probably ready to go into retail because you have a pretty big footprint. If your customer is buying solely on the coast, then maybe you could go into retail, but you should start with smaller boutiques that are really just specific to, you know, L.A. and New York. So I understand you have a fund of 2 million currently. What is kind of the future of Simple Food? The goal is to keep investing, to grow what we've currently built. We've already been able to establish that while we started our fund as a pre-seed and seed structured fund, we're actually looking more into bridge and series A, which has been really exciting for us. The exposure to other investors, the exposure to other brands and founders in the later stage, it's it's exciting for us. It's exciting for our retail partners as well. So to be able to continue to invest in that capacity and this with this new strategy in mind is is how we see things moving yeah, forward. And and to I mean, right now we're kind of acting as a micro VC angel. We're really entering in, you know, in an, in our next fundraise to really being a true VC, writing larger checks than what we were writing before, getting more meaning people meaningful pieces of the pie, but also really being able to help a lot of brands that you'd assume are already in grocery get into grocery. What is one thing that you would change about venture capital? I think the diversity. I um, agree with that. You know, I think that if you have the same type of people, I, I can't remember if I was listening to like a, a daily interview or something like this, but it was saying how if you're the same type of people investing into the same type of people, you're never going to see different types of products and different perspectives and other groups are not going to really get the chance to succeed. I mean, even being female fund managers, people look at us as such a minority in this in this area and LPs want to put money towards because it's giving women a chance to really be at the forefront of business in a lot of ways that wasn't in the past. So I think as VC continues to evolve, diversifying is really, really important. I think Greer said it beautifully, and that's a lot of what we pay attention to, a lot of what we look at and making sure that we have more female founders that we're investing in than male. That's one of the most important things to us as female fund managers. And I think too, like we tell it time and time again, but like the actual decision makers um, in households um, typically are females. And so it makes sense that we should, I mean, obviously we should be um, investing in more diverse brands, but also it makes more sense too to, to invest in obviously a lot more female-led businesses um, as well in the eyes of consumer if the actual decision maker is predominantly a female. My last question for you both is what's one piece of advice that you both have for founders? I would just, going off of everything we just talked about, failure is not the end. 
at all. I think, you know, I heard someone say that and I was just like, yeah, failure is as important as success. It all gives way to success and maybe flipping how you're viewing things, not looking at it as a failure, but where do you go from here? I think also having passion, passion behind everything that you're doing, because if you live and breathe your company, that's going to come through when you talk about your company. Mm-hmm. Like I, as Kara said, I fall in love with every single founder that we talk to and I like <laughs> immediately am obsessed with the product. It's because I feed off of their energy. I believe what they're preaching to me and that's really what's important. And, you know, it was the same thing with us with Simple Food Ventures. Like we live and breathe this and we think what we're doing is incredibly awesome and we love working every day. And I think it's a huge important part to your to yeah. being a successful founder and being excited and I think that goes hand in hand with passion so I guess that's adding a third thing but um, we get up every day and we're I don't know call us whatever you want but truly excited about the people we get to speak to and hearing everything and the listening it's just amazing how it all comes together yeah I think that enthusiasm can just be infectious I love these these are these are great Well, Greer and Kara, this has been so much fun having you both on. Thanks again for taking the time. Thank you. This is great. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this highlight episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening, everyone.